Stand to your feet if you would, please. If you have your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter number 4. There's a letter written to the church at Ephesus by uh, the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. Let's read one scripture, Ephesians 4. This is Paul writing. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I urge you, I beseech you that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Somebody say amen. amen. Be seated please. In 2015, Christianity uh, is as important as it ever has been, but it might be lawful to say it's more important. And the reason is, is because we are living in what would be considered the last days. This is what I personally believe. I believe uh, that the Bible is true and that Jesus really is going to rapture his church. That's the people who believe in him. Uh, uh, there'll be a great catching away. We will elevate and meet him in the sky. I believe that he's going to come back. Uh, uh, he's going to come back for his church. It's going to be a powerful thing. But I believe... Uh, that we are in the last days. Now, I know, I personally know people that are very intelligent, that are very in tune spiritually, uh, that believe we could be, uh, you know, within months and years of this happening. I'm not going to go and, and, and say that because uh, for me, uh, number one, some things are just personal. You know, there's some, there's some personal uh, convictions that you have that are between you and God. They don't necessarily benefit other people because uh, to, to, it always feels like when you say something like that, that you're trying to pull somebody to your team. And I, I'm just trying to tell you that Jesus really is coming back, and I want to be like those uh, virgins that had the oil in their lamp, not the ones that ran out of oil, you know what I'm saying? So we're ready for His coming. Uh, but in this day, in this age, it is more important than it's ever been to be living for God and focusing on the things of God, uh, not because of some uh, religious idea that God is trying to keep you from heaven. No, He sent His Son Jesus to get you into heaven. So He's done everything He can do to make a way for you where there was no way. But for you and for me, uh, the Apostle Paul, who uh, most scholars believe he's in prison when he writes this, he says it like this. He says, listen, he said, I want to urge you that you would walk worthy. Everybody say worthy. worthy. Now, we can't get it twisted, so to speak, and think that we can somehow become worthy of salvation. No, you're not ever going to be worthy of salvation. Uh, there was only one who was worthy, and he died for you, and because of his sacrifice, you and I get to partake of the salvation that he offers. However, there is a way to walk that is worthy of the vocation. One translation says, of the calling that you are called to walk by. So literally, you have to walk upright before God, not because your upright walk makes you any more holy than you are when you get washed spotless by the blood of Jesus, but it makes your outside begin to line up with your inside. You see, the Bible says when Jesus was talking one time, 
He said, is it the best way to clean a pot on the outside first or the inside? Well, certainly you clean the inside first and then you work on the outside because the outside doesn't have near as much bearing on what that pot is good for as the inside does. Because if you can get the inside of a vessel clean, now you can utilize that vessel to pour something of value out of that vessel. Are you with me? So for you and for me, God sent His Son who miraculously saved us and He went uh, like that lava soap, you know, that old hard soap that you clean your hands with if you work in a, a, a factory or something, that old hard soap, and He went in there on the inside of you and He cleaned you with the lava soap, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that that blood of Jesus Christ has washed your sins white as snow. Therefore, the Spirit of God now has... Uh, 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 the ability to live on the inside of you where he could not before. In the Old Testament, uh, all of our heroes of the Scripture, uh, think of one right now, uh, Samson, who was a very strong person. He took a Nazarite vow. He lived holy before God. He tripped up a few times, but he did his best to live holy before God. And he was just this strong man. And the Bible says that he would shake himself and the Spirit of God would come upon him, and he would do great feats. Uh, at one time, he killed a bunch of Philistines, and any time you read the word Philistine in the Bible, uh, it's typically going to reference somebody that is against the things of God and the people of God. He took a donkey's jawbone, and he killed a pile of Philistines. Uh, another time, uh, after, he had been, uh, after he had turned away from God and really messed up, so to speak, uh, in his last move, uh, he shook himself again and he pushed down some big pillars and he caused the uh, building to come down on the Philistines that were trying to kill him. Uh, but the thing is, is he would shake himself and the Spirit of God would come upon him. That's because everybody before Jesus' sacrifice, before Jesus' crucifixion, was not clean on the inside because the blood of Jesus had not been applied. And the Scripture says without the shedding of blood there is no atonement so literally the, the heroes of our Bible from the Old Testament everything that precurses the book of Matthew the Spirit of God could come upon them but the Spirit of God could not dwell on the inside of them does that make sense? But you and me, on this side of Calvary, on this side of the resurrection from the dead, on this side of the ascension into heaven, we have access to the Father, not on our own accord, but because we in fact are clothed in Christ. Whenever you become a Christian and you, become, and you get baptized, the Bible says that you literally put on Christ, like I put on this coat this morning. You put on Jesus. So when you walk into the throne room of God, where the Bible says you can boldly go, not because of anything you've done but because of whose you belong to you can make your requests known unto God where because you are in fact inside of his son Jesus which means when God looks at you he's not seeing your failures he's not seeing your shortcomings he's not seeing all the bad things you've done no he's seeing the sacrifice of his son that has paid your price for all eternity but for you and for me, we have to recognize that we are candidates for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I understand that that kind of gets a little, uh, gets a little people, uh, you know, a little bit tipsy depending on where you're at, you know. But I'm not going to change the Bible just because people aren't comfortable with the Bible. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 2, 
that they were all in one mind and one accord and the Holy Spirit came upon that place and there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and the Bible says that cloven tongues of fire rested on each one of those disciples that were in the room, about 120 people, and they all began to speak in other tongues and prophesy as the Spirit gave them utterance. So much so was this Holy Spirit-filled party going on that it poured out into the streets. And I believe in the name of Jesus in these last days that true revival will not just take place within the walls of your church, but it's going to pour out in the streets in the name of Jesus. So they begin to pour out into the streets and everybody says, Oh, these people are drunk. Look at them, how they're acting. And I just got a problem with anybody that says you can't magnify God like you want to magnify God because in Acts chapter number 2, something was going on that was messing the whole world up. And I just believe if you can get drunk with wine and beer and all the other nonsense that will send you to hell, you can certainly get drunk in the Holy Ghost and magnify God with everything you've got. There's something about living for God that'll shift everything in your life. I got three kids. They, they don't know what a bad time is. They wake up in the morning happy. They go to bed happy. And why do they go to bed happy? Because the joy of the Lord is their strength. Anytime you see a bunch of sin and wickedness, you can always look at it. It's a counterfeit of what God did. Most people uh, that are alcoholics, if you're an alcoholic, listen to me. We will pray for you. We will help you. We are available to you. But it is not the will of God for your life to drown your sorrows in a bottle. Thank you for that one amen. It is not the will of God for your life. It is a counterfeit. It is a counterfeit. Everything you see like that is a counterfeit for what God has already provided. Did you know when you get drunk in the natural, uh, uh, some people, maybe they get mad or whatever, but the first thing that happens is it just starts to dull the pain. And then you start getting a little happy and you get a little loose and you, you get to act in a certain way and you're not acting like you. You're acting like, you know, some other thing. And, and pretty before long, you're just sitting there and everybody's happy and you're smiling and everything is, everybody's great. And oh, I'm so glad to see you. And, and that's why these parties like this, people don't like to show up until it gets late because everybody's happy by the time they get drunk. Well, here's the situation in God is if you got a problem with happiness, you need to get drunk in the Holy Ghost a little bit more because the same thing happens with God. You just start getting happy. When we're praising and worshiping God and we're singing, you're a good, good father and we're magnifying God and we got our hands lifted. Uh, the Bible says in Lamentation that we lift our heart with our hands. No, we didn't just pull that out. That's not a cultural thing. It's in the Bible. So we lift our hands and we shout. And we magnify God and the Spirit of God becomes tangible. He's always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. But there is a manifested presence of God where you can sense His presence. It's a strong thing. So you begin to sense His presence and you begin to magnify God and all of a sudden all your cares and all your concerns, it's not like they disappear. No, when you, get, when you sit down and you drink a case of beer, your, your problems don't disappear. Your worries temporarily do. It's the same thing with God. When you magnify God and the Holy Spirit comes over you and flows inside of you and flows out of you, all of a sudden you begin to get this thing that comes over you and you get happy all of a sudden and the joy of God comes on and all the stresses 
and all the strains and all the problems and all the worries, they just began to fade away. Because the things that the devil would have you to do are always a counterfeit of what God already offers you. It's always a counterfeit of what He's always made available to you anyway. So I dare you next time, sir, ma'am, if you're struggling with alcohol or marijuana or any of these other things that just dull the pain, nobody's mad at you. But if you're struggling with it, I dare you to pop a worship CD in. Magnify God and see if you can't get that Holy Spirit intoxication that doesn't have a hangover, I might add. It doesn't leave you with a bad breath and a headache. It doesn't make you late for work the next morning. No, something will happen and you'll be early to work the next morning. You'll be saying, no, I work as unto the Lord. I just magnify God. All of a sudden, uh, the, your employer will start to take notice. Well, wait a minute. This person, they're really doing something here. What's going on? What changed in you? Well, I just live for God. I just, I just magnify God. You know what? I know all I do you know, here all day is I put these little widgets together, but I just decided I'm going to do what the Bible said, and I'm going to put widgets together like I'm working for Jesus. All of a sudden, you stop, you stop worrying so much about what somebody said about you at the water cooler and you still hear it, but it doesn't have the effect on you anymore and you begin to pray for the person who's talking about you instead of talking about the person who's talking about you. No, the Holy Spirit, He'll just change everything in your life. You begin to work for God, not for man. Everything will shift in your life. But in, in, in this day and age, it's more important than ever that we stand for something. Aaron Tippin, he's a country and western singer. And he used to sing a song about pickup trucks. And he said, there's something women like about a pickup man. And I thought, now that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. But then he said something brilliant. If it wasn't for trucks, we wouldn't even have tailgates. And I said, go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> but he also sung another song. He said, you've got to stand for something or you will fall for anything. There is doctrine, and there are convictions, okay? Doctrine is found in our Word. It's found in the Bible. We do not shy away from doctrine in any area. These are the foundations of our, of our Scripture and our faith, meaning there's one way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. And then you can go down from there. But there are convictions that you and I hold where you say, you know what, I just personally, I don't watch movies that have this in it. I don't, uh, uh, I, don't go, I, don't, I don't go to places like this. Whatever it is for you, your conviction, okay? And the interesting thing is, in this day and age, we've got to get exceptionally good at living out our convictions. Now, that does not mean that we impose our convictions on everybody else it means that we impose violently our convictions on our flesh. You see, you can do more for people who are watching you if you will in fact live for God in front of them than you will ever accomplish by trying to tell them exactly how they should live for God. 
You see, you know what somebody really believes by watching them. And I'm not telling you to just watch people. I'm just telling you that's how you know what somebody really believes. Because when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says that God will raise up a standard against him. If you really believe that, when the enemy comes in like a flood, you believe God with more gusto than you did when everything was going okay. And if you can do that in front of your friends, if you can do that in front of your family, then now you are doing what the Apostle Paul said and you are walking worthy of the vocation whereby you have been called to. You see, we don't walk worthy so that we can somehow equate ourselves to the blood of Jesus. No, you'll work yourself into the ground. But no, we walk worthy because you and me are the ambassadors of another kingdom that we have been granted access to and it is our job to evangelize, to let other people know what Jesus is, what Jesus is about, who He is, who His Father is, what is heaven about, what is heaven not about, uh, is there a hell to shun, absolutely. These are the things, these are the reasons that we walk worthy of our calling. I'm going to read another story briefly in Daniel chapter number 3. Uh, this is probably, I don't know if it's lawful to say I have a favorite Bible story. Uh, I know people do and they have favorite scriptures and everything, whatever. Uh, but for me, I don't necessarily have a favorite. But if I was going to have a favorite, this story, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, would be at least top five. I love uh, the whole imagery of it. I love the whole idea of it because it paints such a wonderful picture for you and for me about how we can stand for God in the moments and the times and places of adversity. Uh, Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 4 says, There was a herald that cried out, and it says, To you it is commanded... O people, nations, and languages. Now, this is the guy who works for a wicked king named Nebuchadnezzar in the area of Babylon. And what they had done is they'd made a, a, about a hundred-foot-tall statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was coming up with this rule that any time you heard music, you had to bow and worship this statue of gold that was made in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. So verse 5 said that at what time... You hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and any kinds of music, all kinds of music. You have to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. So literally, he says, listen, when you hear the music, when you hear the music, you've got to fall on your face and you've got to worship this statue. Can I just take a side, uh, 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 side joint for a moment? The music you listen to is very important. The music that you allow in your home and your car is very important. Music is an overwhelmingly powerful thing. Lucifer himself was the praise and worship leader. Lucifer is the devil. He was the praise and worship leader of sorts in heaven. Winds would come out of him like, like sounds. He was, he, 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 was just, he was everything you'd want music to be. And I've heard testimony after testimony of people that say, man, that song just gets me going. When you get a bunch of young men ready to play football, 
You put on a song that's got a certain beat to it, and they, they start moving, and they start hearing it, and then, then, then there's a lyric that comes on that says something that, that, that just gets that energy going. There's something about music that's just a powerful thing. Music's nothing to fear at all because music works equally as strong or stronger the other way too when you magnify God with it. When you utilize music to be the thing that breaks the atmosphere open, when you utilize music to be the thing that will pull on something on the inside of you to get you to respond to God and to get God to respond to us, music is one of the most powerful tools in the kingdom of God and in the body of Christ, but it can also be one of the most dangerous because everything that God does, the devil will make a counterfeit of. So I just encourage you, you know, don't fill your ears up with a bunch of nonsense. Now, uh, there was a time in my life when I thought, you know what, I'm not listening to anything uh, unless it magnifies the name of Jesus. And if that's you, bless God, go with it. But there's some really good love songs out there that I like to hold hands with my wife when they're playing. Again, it just stirs up an emotion on the inside of you. Music is an overwhelmingly powerful thing. So what they were trying to do is they were trying to get music to get everybody in the kingdom to worship somebody other than God. Did you know music still does that today? It will idolize the person, and I'm not mad at the people for being successful. It will idolize a lifestyle, which is a total lie. All of it is a total lie. The whole idea that, that the, the party lifestyle of you just go and you meet one person a day, meet somebody. Let me just tell you something. I'm censoring this because I see young faces in the room. But can we just agree it's a total lie. Yes. Music is a powerful, powerful thing. I don't know, I don't know uh, of any movement in God that I've ever studied that didn't have powerful music in the middle of it. Music is a power. That's why we spend so much time at New Heights Church uh, working on the sound and the music and, and these guys pray and pray about what songs to sing and when to sing them and how to sing them. And then God just sends us amazing talent to come and uh, just kick the atmosphere wide open for the presence of God and the Spirit of God. But music is an overwhelmingly powerful thing. Verse 6. And whoso falleth not on the ground, whoever doesn't fall down in worship, shall the same hour, shall right then, be cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Now that's an interesting thing. Uh, there is a hell. And, and hell is a very, very real thing. If, you're, if you don't know Jesus, you are literally at risk of eternal damnation. That's what the Scripture says, and I just believe the Bible. You can't have uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so whoever would believe in Him be saved. Well, what are you saved from? If there's no hell, what's that Scripture even about? So there is a hell, and if you don't know Jesus, you are at risk of it. But everything that the devil does is a counterfeit of God. So he sees God, and he knows the Bible better than most of us. Uh, and he sees, okay, so what God's going to do is he's going to say, choose this day who you'll serve, and those that don't serve him, sooner or later they'll be cast into a fiery pit before it's all said and done. So the devil comes up with a plan. He says, I'm going to make a statue of my own. I'm going to make somebody that somebody else can bow to. And if they don't bow, it's going to work for him. It's going to work for me. I'll tell them if they don't bow, I'm going to throw them in the fire. So it's all a counterfeit of what God does. 
just on a smaller scale. So what happens in your life and in my life is this. False religion can almost always be identified by somebody who is threatening to do something to you in this life if you do not follow after their beliefs. If you ever hear a preacher that's talking about cursing you if you leave their church, you get out of that church as fast as possible. That is called witchcraft. If you ever hear a preacher talking about how they're the only one that's got it right and they're the only one that's got it together, you get out of that church because that is not true. This is the body of Christ. It's got several members. We're all. If you lift up the name of Jesus, we're all on the same team. If you like chocolate ice cream and I like vanilla ice cream, that doesn't mean that ice cream's not good. It means that we got different flavors. Now, there's some differences in doctrine. And we can argue those, and I think you ought to go to a church that believes the Bible, that believes the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But at the same time in your life, you've got to make the point that you're not going to let offense to the body of Christ get any kind of a foothold on the inside of you because God never works through the offended. Ever. So all these things come together, and he says, when you guys hear this music, you're going to have to fall on your face and worship. And if not, we're going to throw you in the fire. That sounds a lot to me like ISIS over in the Middle East right now. Where they say, you're going to do this or else. Because false religion always offers an immediate penalty. True religion says, I'm trying to keep you from the eternal penalty. So he says to him, he says, if you guys don't bow, I'm going to throw you in the fire immediately. And, and, and we're going to play music, and it's going to be amazing. But if you don't bow, you're going to burn at that very moment. So they go on, and they play the music, and all the different notes come, and all the different sounds come. And the Bible says in verse number 12, it says, There are certain Jews. Everybody say certain. certain. Come on, real loud, certain. certain. Certain Jews whom you'd set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Now these guys are very interesting. Those three in David, the Bible says they were, in, in Daniel chapter 1, that they were ten times smarter than everybody else. I think God's people are just smarter than everybody else. I don't mind telling you. But they said they won't serve the stat, they won't bow. They won't, they won't turn from their God to this idea of what God is. But I find it very interesting. It says certain Jews. It makes me think maybe there was other Jews. Did you know everybody's not going to experience God at the same level as everybody else? No, when you walk worthy of the calling, that's called a precept. And when you do, you get to access promises that other people may not. There's a reason to live for God. There's a reason to press towards the mark for the prize, the high calling in Christ. There's a reason to never grow weary in well-doing. There's a reason to set aside every weight that, that holds you back. There's a reason to push towards the things of God. There's a reason to live this. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There's a reason to live for God. And he said, there's certain Jews. I don't know about you, but I want to be in the certain category. 
When that roll is called up yonder, I want it to go like this. Johnny, <laughs> Matthew, Luke. Do we have a mark? I was looking. We've got almost all the apostles here. Then I wanted to say, well, there's a certain one here. There's a certain one here. I said there's a certain group in the Brazos Valley. I said there's a certain remnant in the Brazos Valley. There's a certain group that's rising up. There's a certain uh, group of people. They'll believe, they'll lay hands on you if you're sick. They'll, ca- they'll cast the devil out of you if you got the devil. They'll just believe God in every area. There's a certain group. There's statues that everybody's bowing to. There's things, convictions and doctrines that people are leaving on the wayside. But there's a certain group rising up. There's a certain thing happening. The Bible says that he said there are certain Jews that won't serve these other gods. Then the Bible says then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. If you want to make the devil mad, Just decide this morning that you're never going to bow again. If you want to make the devil angry, and I hope you do, just decide you're not bowing anymore. Skip down to verse number 16 for the sake of time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they're about to answer the king, but the king says to them, and I'll paraphrase it, he says, listen, you guys are so smart. I'm mad, but y'all are smart. I've put you over these kingdoms. You actually helped me run Babylon. But you are making me look bad. Because everybody else is bowing when they hear the music, but, but, but you guys won't bow. And, and, and I can't have that kind of disorder in my camp. I can think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are probably thinking, you brought me here, bud. I didn't ask to come here. They were held captive out of Jerusalem. He says to him, he says, he says, look, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to ask the band to play. And they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna play all those funny sounding instruments. He said, you guys bow. And if you don't bow, you're going to burn. As a matter of fact, he said, just for further motivation, I'm going to have the furnace heated up seven times hotter. The minute you decide that you're not going to bow is the minute you'll see the fire get hotter. They go and they stoke the fire with the wood and they get it hotter. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hear all these threats. There's something on the inside of them. Maybe it was the same word that God gave Paul. Going, walk worthy of the calling that you're called to. Walk worthy of the calling that you're called to. They're they're strangers in a foreign land. The Bible says you and me are in the world, but we're not of the world. The fire's getting bigger. The pressure's getting harder. And this may be my favorite exchange in the whole Bible. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't know if maybe they said it like, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, like, like almost like a little patronizing. Maybe not, Alan. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter, which means I don't have to think about it. I don't have to pray about it. I have already made my... Long before I got close to this furnace that you're threatening me, threatening me with, I already made my decision about how I live for God, when I live for God, and where I live for God. I don't bow to statues. That was a decision made long before. You, you wasted a lot of gold if you were thinking that every Jew was going to bow to it because you were wrong. If it be so, if you decide to throw us in the fire, verse 17, our God whom we serve. You know, some people call on God, but they can't say whom we serve. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. Verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not Serve your gods, nor worship the golden image that you have set before us. In other words, something rattled down on the inside of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the big fire was getting bigger, and the statue was gleaming over them, and they were literally standing in the shadow of death. But something came over them, and they said, I'm going to walk worthy of the vocation that God has called me to. And they said, our God is able. And most Christians will say that. And they'll say, my God will deliver us. And almost all Christians will say that. But then the certain Christians, they're the ones that will rise up and say, but even if He does not, I do not bow. I don't serve anything but Him. He hung on a tree so I don't have to. If I step into glory tomorrow, if I turn into a Jewish crisp in your fire, that is fine with me because I'm not bowing to you, you wretched heathen king. I added the last part. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, oh my gosh, oh, oh, he goes crazy. You and you, grab them, throw them in the fire. They tied them up, threw them in the fire. The fire was so hot it killed the guys that threw them in the fire. Throw them bound up, tied up. You ever felt just tied up? And you thought, man, I'm feeling tied up. You're praying. And then all of a sudden, you get thrown in the fire. I've been there. Nebuchadnezzar looks in that fire and he says, whoa, 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 boys, hang on a minute. Did not we throw three men in the fire? They say, yes, yes, king, we threw those three Hebrew guys in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, I see four men in the fire. 
walking around and they're loose and in the right mind and one of them looks like the son of God. He said, Nebi, he, he said, he said, Shepherd, Meshach Abednego, get out of that fire. And I think old Shadrach, he might have said, we're going to take another lap or two, Neb. They come out of the fire. The Bible says that the men grabbed their clothes and smell. They said, these guys don't even smell like smoke. Some of you are going through something right now and you think, this is going to plague me for the rest of my life. You're not even going to smell like smoke when you come out of this thing. He said, I tell you what, there is no God greater than the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He elevated him even more and promoted him even more. But in your life, I, I just want to point out this. You were talking about how he's a good father. Maybe you didn't have a good father growing up. If you didn't, I'm sorry. Please don't look at God that way. He's a good, good father. He loves you very, very much. But I found in my life that it's in the hardest times, the most difficult moments, when I've seen people just decide that they are going to stand their ground, that they're not going to put, get pushed one more time that God just shows up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire. It doesn't say Jesus was with them when they decided not to bow. It doesn't say that Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus whenever they were standing around about to tie him up. It doesn't say that, that they saw Jesus whenever they were threatening him. It says they saw Jesus in the hardest moment that they experienced. I found that God is always with you, but He always makes Himself really well known. One scripture says that He's closest to the brokenhearted. Those hard areas of your life. So one more story, then I'm going to close. My little boy, Walker Lee, we're from Texas, so we give our offspring two names, Walker Lee. Who, by the way, we, were, we met Walker, Texas Ranger the other day. You don't think that was cool? We're at Mooyah Burger. Anybody like Mooyah Burger? I can't say that because somebody will go, Oh, he's always hungry. <laughs> this church, brother. We're at Mooyah Burger. Let me tell the real story, okay? <laughs> I was about to censor it. And I started getting these text messages from my mom of pictures of half of Chuck Norris's face. And, and it like, like, like she was trying to, you know, walk by and go... Like the paparazzi, you know, sneaky style. So we're, we're, we're about to eat somewhere else. And I told Crystal, I said, Chuck Norris is at Mooyah Burger. She said, step on it. <laughs> We go to Mooyah Burger. Walk in, trying to act all cool. We're like, oh, Chuck Norris. Hey, sir, how are you today? Let me introduce you to my son. And I got so much joy out of this. This is my little boy, Walker. 
And his wife, she, they were the sweetest, kindest people. His wife gave, got, got his card and Chuck Norris signed. It was a, it was a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing. But anyway, I'm a little boy, Walker. He's not named after Chuck Norris, but sure made for a great encounter. But my little boy, when he was about two years old, we were fishing. And, and we were fishing on a dock. It was my parents' house. They lived on this big lake. And, and he, was, he was, you know, doing like little boys do, just running around and, you know, just being a little boy. And, and for that long, you know, he just somehow just got out of our hand or something. I don't know. It was a muddy, muddy lake. You know, you couldn't see the bottom of it. And he goes running, and he goes to grab the rail of the, of the dock, which he was too short to reach, and he fell into the water. And he just disappeared like that. Muddy, watered lake. And I jumped over the, the thing, and, and, I, and I went down to the bottom, which is maybe three or four feet deep. And I remember, because I, I got my fingers deep in the mud, because I just kind of bear-hugged where I knew he was, and I felt his little body. And I, and I came up, and I heard what was, at that point, the greatest sound I'd ever heard. He was crying already, you know, so he was okay. He's fine. But he comes up, he's crying. And it seemed like I remember it was kind of cool out. And, and Crystal takes him and takes him inside and, you know, wipes him, uh, cleans him up and everything. I get up. I said, okay, let me see him. I said, you know, I said, you know, they're your kids. You know, you love your kids so much. And I, and I thought, man, I don't want him to be scared to go fishing or scared to go to the lake or, you know, I don't want him, you know, negative. I don't want him to smell like smoke. So I picked him up and I said, I said I'm going to walk down to the dock and I'm going to make sure he's not scared. I'm going to throw him in. No, <laughs> Matthew told me to say that. I'm going to walk him down there and just see how he reacts, you know. I don't want him to be scared. We're not scared of anything, you know. So we walk down there, and he's all good. And he's, oh, Daddy, fishing, you know. Put me down. I put him down. He's running around the same dock he just fell in from. And so later that day, I'm having a conversation with my dad. And I said, man, I wish that hadn't happened. He said, yeah, yeah, I do too, you know. I said, I just don't. I don't want him to know. I don't want him to be scared of water. And, you know, I don't want him to be scared to go fishing. And I don't want him, I don't want him nervous around. You know, I just don't want, I don't want fear on him. I don't want anything like that. And, and Dad goes, no, that, that's not what happened today. He said he found out that his daddy will rescue him from the bottom of a lake too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put God to the test. And God passed. In your life and in my life, you're going to go through those furnace moments. You're going to go through those bottom of the lake moments. But I'm here to tell you, he'll show up in the fire. He'll show up in the water. He'll show up in your deepest, darkest, hurting moments. But from Genesis to Revelation, where we see God move most swiftly is when a certain people decide I just won't bow.
know he's a good father. Stand to your feet, please. I'm done teaching. Team, come on up.